Okay, everybody. It's time to find a good seat. Seth Brown, there's good seats right up front, man. Don't be. <laughs> it's so good to see your family. Welcome. If, uh, for, for two more minutes, and then I'll be in the back. So, uh, this is the last day of the year. And I'm just, every Sunday when I get up here, I'm just amazed at the family we are and the love we share, even though we're all kind of different and some are a little more differenter than others. Um, but the love of Christ and a, a redeemed heart bond us together, and I just love that. Um, a few announcements. See Isaac about the True Church Conference. Um, you might be able to get in if, if you are nice to him. We're doing a membership class right now. Um, we had the first one today, but if you'd like to uh, learn more about the church, you're welcome uh, to join us next week it, during the Sunday school hour, which starts at 9.30. If that doesn't work for your family situation, just let me know and we can schedule it at a different time. It'll be uh, two to three, maybe four sessions at the most. There's no youth choir practice today, but I think you're going to be starting soon for Easter. And I really appreciate Amanda and Amber doing that and watching the young ones sing. And finally, we have a dinner afterwards. If, if you're not prepared, uh, we still have enough food for you. You just might get a lot of green beans and rolls, but still come over and enjoy the fellowship. Hey, let me mention one thing why Jerry's don't like the middle one, Jerry. We're going to have Linda come. You can, come on. can you come on up? Don't let him like the middle one. We're using this Advent candle to remind us about Christ and uh, appreciate Gail writing our Advent for this year. I was going to have her light it, but she's downstairs working with the children, so that's um, good. But we're using this kind of as an object lesson uh, through this time to think about Christ's first Advent. And let me mention one other announcement, too. We've got four beautiful poinsettias, or however you pronounce them, uh, but they need a good home. And so if you know how to handle plants, uh, please come and, and get one and take one home for you today, uh, because I don't. If they go with me, they're dead. And I have two of them that are nearly dead in the back room. So if you're really good with that kind of thing, some of you are, uh, you can have both of those as well. And bring them back to, to life. So any case, so remember that after the service, we're going to have a fellowship lunch for those that um, signed up. And even if you didn't, I think we have enough food for everyone that's here. So please join us in the fellowship hall following our worship service today. And one final thing, I'm just trying to see how long I can get these candles to burn. The uh, one other thing too, we're going to have communion in just a bit. So we want to prepare your heart as we begin this last day of this year, begin for the new year. Uh, and you don't have to be a member to participate in communion with Christ, but you need to be a Christian, have confessed Christ as Lord, followed him in believer's baptism, and have confessed your sin. And I'll give you a moment to do the confession in just a bit. So this morning, we have our final candle to light in the middle, and 
we have uh, Jerry and Linda to lead us in that. You want to get your worship folder out in the back, in, in there, there's something for the congregation to respond to. And so if you'll respond when that's indicated, I would appreciate it. God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. God cannot lie. God keeps all his promises. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let us pray and prepare our hearts to worship Christ. I'm going to give you a moment now to confess your sin to Christ. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To be able to prepare to worship him in our singing of praise to his holy name, in our prayers, in our proclamation, and in our special communion time, doing this in remembrance of Christ. Before we sing, we'll sing in just a minute, and then we'll receive communion. But take a moment to prepare your heart to worship Christ today. I'll give you a moment privately, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let us pray. Father, we come to you thankful for sending Jesus Christ the Lord. We're thankful that all we do is come before you, and you will receive our confession. It, it isn't through our merit, our works, our actions, and, and what we do, but simply as the word is even before expressed on our tongue, you're a good and gracious God, full of mercy full of compassion, recognizing our frame and who we are, sending your son to live among us, to experience all that we have experienced, including all that temptation, but to triumph over it, to fight it to the very bitter end, and to be a victor, to take on our sin, on his body, on the tree, to atone for each one. What an incredible love that you have granted to us. Mercy, grace, faithfulness, merit that is totally undeserved. And all of that to be an appeasement, a payment for our penalty. What an incredible gift that you have given to us. I'm thankful that I have been able by your grace, by the light that you have granted through the Holy Spirit, to see and savor this incredible gift, a gift that is greater than anything else that we could possibly receive. I pray, Father, that we would continually cherish and remember your goodness, even in times of great difficulty, in times of chaos, and yeah, even in times of great 
joy in this world, recognizing that in your presence is fullness of joy, a joy that we have yet to experience in its fullness. So I pray, Father, that we would be faithful, faithful in this day and the days to come. I pray the light of the glory of your grace would shine forth from your church in bright and brilliant ways. Call many sons and daughters both to faith and faithfulness. May Christ be praised, not just this day, but forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning, let's take our hymn books and stand and turn to number 635, Another Year is Dawning. It's important this, as we enter a new year that we seek the Lord and ask for his mercy and his grace and his love. So as you read these, these words, think about his sovereign care and protection in our lives in the year ahead and, and pray, pray that as we sing here this morning, 635. another year is about to dawn and what a great way to usher in that new year by remembering Christ. We have the elements here, the, the bread and the cup. Both of these elements Christ pulled from the Passover supper with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He took those two elements and said, these represent me and to do so in remembrance of me and instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Interesting in 
the Gospels, when it goes through that account, as Christ calls his disciples to partake both in the, the bread and, and the cup, representing Christ's life and Christ's death, he sat around that table with his disciples and took both of those. He called them to do this in remembrance of him. And in there he said, but I will not partake until I do it with you in the kingdom. One of the things that we can remember, and I'm going to call it a remembrance today, is Christ's coming for you. 2024 may turn out to be a really chaotic, crazy, and confused year, as many years have been. And we've heard some warning signs that things are not necessarily getting better, they're getting worse. And it may approach you that way individually or collectively in our country and maybe even in the world. I don't know. But God is truly sovereign. And Christ said, don't let your heart be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, well, there's many rooms. And if I go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That's what Christ is doing now. And I'm coming back to take you unto myself. That taking unto himself is beginning a feast in which they call the marriage supper of the Lamb. This represents that too, when Christ will drink it anew with you in his kingdom. 2024, we have a lot to look forward to. Christ, Christ's return. I'm going to ask Jerry, if you will, bless these elements, and then we'll call you up to receive both the bread and the cup, and then return to your seat and wait, and then we'll all remember and receive them together. Jerry, would you bless these elements? stand up and for those who want to receive communion get both elements and circle around return to your seat
here. And remind us when we take communion, Jesus says, often as you do this, do this in remembrance of him. And there's much to remember. There's much to remember his life as we've celebrated this first advent, Christ coming, born, lived through all the stages of life, merit perfection in his life. Everything he did was perfect. Everything he did was right. He fulfilled all righteousness, something none of us have done. He's granted to us that righteousness, and it's in that righteousness alone in which we will be able to stand before a holy God, robed in the holy righteousness of Christ. Second element, as we've mentioned before, too, is this cup which represents his blood. That is his death. The wages of sin is death. Christ paid for our penalty. There is no condemnation to the believers. That is what we do when we take and partake and remember. But today, I also want you to remember the glorious aspect because of Christ's life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Look forward to his soon return in which we will be in his presence and have fullness of joy. We have all been joyful at various occasions and this Tonight could be a joyful occasion for all of us, but we will pale in comparison to the coming of Christ and to bring us into his presence. And in great anticipation, as Christ fasts to wait to feast with each one of you, what a glorious grace he has granted to us. First, let's remember his life, receive this in remembrance of Christ. Next, let's receive the cup in remembrance of the payment, propitiation for our sin. Well, let's take our hymns and stand once more and turn on 281. We'll sing, I will sing of my Redeemer. We'll sing the first and the last of 281.
Let's turn to number 113. He giveth more grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. 113. church. Just want to tell you it's an absolute privilege and, and blessing every opportunity I get to come before you and, and read with you the, the Word of God. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is the beginning of the Gospel of John. We'll read in chapter 1 verses 1 through 34. I will be reading from the Pew Bible, and that is on page 886. As our minds have turned to, for us, what is a new, a new calendar year, you think of uh, new possibilities and new opportunities uh, as we pray for opportunities to, uh, to share our faith with those who, uh, who are lost, I would encourage you to refer them to this right here, the Gospel of John. Amen. What we want for 
unbelievers more than anything is to see Christ as he has been revealed to us, the true God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, this Messiah who came and lived amongst us, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and ever lives making intercession for us. Read along with me here, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the, he who, of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for another opportunity to come together and worship you. We have so many infinite reasons to be praiseful of you. And God, I pray as we continue to worship that uh, we would be filled in our own hearts with this spirit that desires to offer praise as, uh, as the time comes for a study in the word that we would be uh, so appreciative of this word that you gave us, that we would treasure these words in our heart. And God, that as we go from this place into uh, another week, another, another month, another year of uh, opportunity, that we would uh, be diligent uh, in, in study so that we may be um, ready at any opportunity to, uh, uh, to present this word to those who need to hear it in a lost world. God, we praise you today for, for life, for light, and for the word that indeed became flesh and, and dwelt among us. We praise you for the work of Christ, for his, his ministry, for his, his death, his sacrifice, but uh, for his resurrection, his ascension, for this gospel that we, have, um, that we have heard and that we believe. And I pray, God, that you would give us more opportunity to share. We pray all of these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.
you, Amber. Let's take our hymn books once more and stand and turn to number 493, Revive Us Again. Before we sing that, let's recite the uh, responsive reading just above that, and you'll notice there's a worshiper leader, there's worshipers, and there's also sections for men and women. Let's recite that together before we sing Revive Us Again, and it's entitled Revival with Repentance. Let's begin. Lord, restore us to you. Your, uh, restore us to yourself. Renew our days as in former times. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blake, Amber, and Church. Well, this morning, because of the timing of it and really where we're at in our text, I thought I would do something a little different. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. We've finished chapter 9. We'll pick up chapter 10 next week. 
This week, I thought what I would do is take a break from that exposition in the book of Hebrews and really address the state of the church, something I like to do each year, and this Sunday falls on the last day of the year, so I thought this would be a good time to do that. So I invite you to turn, if you will, in God's Word to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and we'll look beginning at verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. I wanted to bring a message this morning really on the state of the church, the church in general, this will apply, but most particularly to our church. I'm going to unpack some of these ideas, so if we don't get to all of them, that's fine, on our Wednesdays through the next year, and get into some specifics and details that would be applicable to this directive this morning. But to give you some historical background, most of you know, some don't, some are visiting, and just reflecting on it, anecdotally, in my experience here at this particular church, I was asked to fulfill the pulpit in February of 2008. This church had been in steady decline for a number of years, and at that time it was down to barely a handful of people. A few, a few adults, no children. I found out that they had been praying for a revival, a restoration, if you will, for the church then to be in a healthy state. The previous pastor had come up with a last-ditch effort to hold an old-fashioned revival with a tent and everything. I don't think they had the sawdust, but they had the tent out here on the lawn, and they constructed that, and needless to say, that was in the fall of 2007, so I was told, but that strategy failed, that methodology. The pastor was out of options. So he quietly walked away. In God's providence, I filled the pulpit that next Sunday as a guest speaker and have remained to this day. It has been my joy over the years, and including today, to see a church, the people of God, flourishing in Christ. Now, I want to make two notes to begin with. First of all, I'm not impugning the motives of my predecessors. Or most of the preachers and leaders of the church in general today. I think most, if not all of them, they have a genuine desire to see people come to Christ and to flourish in faith. I am, however, questioning the methodology, not the motive, but the methodology. The methodology being employed by the church in general and many churches specifically, including this one at one time, to bring about that flourishing in Christ. We want to see people confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We want them to see them live a life of great faith. 
I'm questioning the methodology in which the church often employs. Second, I do want to note, too, the story of the state of this particular congregation, this church, is not really about me. It's one of the reasons I decided early on not to have my name on the sign. Again, it's fine to put your name on the sign. I have no problem with it. I did it on purpose, not to put my name on there. Because the church is not about me, and I wanted that to be communicated primarily. The church is about Christ and Christ alone. That's what Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 16 and most notably verse 18 as we get to it in our text. Jesus said that he would build the church, that is, God's people. He would do it. In fact, he would say the gates of hell could not even prevail against it. The most greatest, hardest force possible could not stop it. It is unstoppable. That's what Christ proclaimed. I just believe what Jesus said. I'm foolish enough to actually believe him. I really do. I have that kind of faith. Not in myself, but in Christ. And that's what has held me through thick and thin. Christ will build his church. I'm just thankful I get to see some of it before I die. (laughs) I didn't know what kind of church I would be at. One in which Christ would be proclaimed as a judgment to the people who will not hear. But I prayed that Christ would bring about fruit and have many flourish in faith. Christ in the text, as we get to it, it doesn't say that he's going to build Wayne's church or anyone else's for that matter. And I think that is the root of the problem why many churches wind up with people gathered together that are not truly Christians, that are not Christ's, that are not genuine believers. It's a dangerous thing to try to build a church on the sand of human creativity, human ingenuity, or through manipulation of people, through cunning and craftiness, through superstition, or any other tactic that is inconsistent with the methodology that Christ taught his disciples. He didn't leave them without a method. He gave them one. That's how he'll build his church. As we submit to Christ and Christ alone. The faith in this, that Christ would build his church, really has been the foundation of our flourishing. A continued belief And commitment into that fundamental truth will ensure that the light of the gospel will go forward, not just today, but until Christ returns. And that is what I'm praying for. You will have to pick it up and move it forward in obedience to Christ. Now let's look at our text. Matthew chapter 16, and I'll begin at verse 13. 
Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray for myself once again, and for your people, that we would believe Christ in everything that he said, that we would trust him no matter what wind prevails in whatever direction, that we would hold fast the truth that is in Christ and Christ alone. In his name I pray. Amen. This text is really straightforward, isn't it? They, they ask him, Jesus asks questions, well, well, who do people think Jesus is? He uses the term son of man. We talked about it this morning in our morning class. It's a divine title. See Daniel 7, that's who Jesus refers to himself as. He knows who he is. He is God incarnate. But he asks, well, what's the public opinion? The public opinion as it is expressed here in the text, is, well, you're a pretty good guy, a notable person, noteworthy, one of great reputation. Of course he was, but that's not enough. Instead, the confession that Peter makes is that you are the Christ, that is, you are the Messiah, you, you are the Son of God, you are the essence of God himself, the living God, the only God. He recognizes who Jesus Christ is, and note the text where it says that this doesn't come about by your sheer intellectual, observational or any other way, but it is through a divine illumination granted to you by the Father. Yes, there are instruments and means by which this comes about, but it is really a divine miracle of God's grace that you would know that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, after that commendation, recognizing the, the source of life, it is in God. Jesus says then, I will build my church based on that confession, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know Christ? This is why we're Christocentric, if you will. It, it isn't we just like repeating the name. That's just what this is all about. It's all about Christ. As you read in the Gospel of John, thanks for sharing that, and I encourage you to do it. Read it many times about who Jesus Christ is. 
because it is Christ who explains the Father, if you'll see in the text. That's how you're going to know God, is through one man, Jesus Christ. The one mediator, as we're learning about in the book of Hebrews. It is Jesus Christ, and this church then belongs to him. It's his church, it isn't my church, and that's this specifically, but I would say the church in general. Anyone who would say, I'm a church, I'm follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. That gathering together is Christ's and Christ's alone. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. And we looked at that again in our ministry training class an hour before. So some of you have a head start on that. And you'll know a little bit more where we're getting at in Revelation chapter 1. Here it says, it begins in Revelation 1. This is speaking to specifically seven churches that are in Asia. It is applied, of course, to all churches that would follow, but they stand as an exemplar. Here's the word in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace to him, peace from him, should I say, who is and who was and who is to come. That's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, right? And he, he has always existed. He came, and he went, and he's coming back. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. This is the fullness of God. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the, note this, ruler of the kings of, on earth, to him who loves us and freed us from, his, from our sin by his blood. And beyond that, made us a, then a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the one who always spoke truth and did so faithfully. Beyond that, notice he is indeed the king of kings, the ruler on the earth. What did he do in his incarnation? It is through his death we have been made free, free from our sin. And beyond that, on the positive side, then those that are in Christ then function as a minister for Christ in his beloved church, priests, if you will, to God, mediating between God and man, not as Christ would mediate, but as we proclaim Christ, the mediator to the world for his glory. He's coming. Who is to come? Drop down to verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Who is this one to come? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In the words of S.M. Lockridge, that's my king, and I pray he's yours. I'm just glad to be a subject of his kingdom. 
just to be a part, and, and beyond that, to be privileged, to be called a son of God, to be brought into his presence and be, be given the light of the knowledge of the glory of his grace and be able to communicate that to everyone within the world. What a, what a great privilege. But note here, the church that Christ said he's going to build belongs to this one. The one who is, note here, almighty God. When it uses phrases like almighty here in connection with God, it's pointing to his power. We would say he's omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful. This is the one who can speak the world into existence. This is the one, then, who holds the world together right now and the only reason it's not totally falling apart is because of the word of his power, which we've learned in Hebrews, right? That's the one. That's Jesus. Relying on my own creativity, my own ingenuity, my own plans and designs, my own power, that will only hinder <laughs> It isn't going to help. Jesus doesn't need that kind of help. He is Almighty God, and I actually believe that from the very beginning. We were not in a good position to start. I mean, I mean, how, how do you get people to come to church when, when you, you have nothing else to give them? You, you have no gymnasium. You, you have no great facilities. The whole front of the church was blackened by soot mold or whatever else was on it. Everything was broken down. And you walked in and no one was here. So who's going to want to come when no one else goes there? And early on, there were no children, no, no life. We had a nursery that was totally empty. So how do you change all of that? Well, you come up with all kinds of methods and plans. The first thing you do is you get a great music group, and they'll want to come hear that. And, and then, oh, I know, you'll get all these little programs together to, to drag in kids from the neighborhood. Now, look, I'm not against good music and having programs for kids and whatever else, but that's not going to build Christ church. You know, you're going to build a community of people who want to come. And, and quite frankly, I can't compete and couldn't, particularly then and even now, I can't compete with all this stuff that's going on. I don't have that kind of money. Thankfully, we're in the black. We've never hurt for uh, finances and resources here because part of it is we don't blow it on a stage show. But beyond all that, everyone has a better show going on, trust me. All I can do was take that and open it and read it and teach on it. That's it. And I could just believe that Christ would build his church. I believe it then. I believe it now. And I hope you believe it. And the reason I'm telling you this for the future, because I'm not going to be around much longer. I hope the Lord comes in 2024. I'm all for that, and we live in the light of that. But I also need to prepare for the future. And that is, I'd like for this light of the glory of his grace to continue. And it's going to continue by you coming to faith in Christ and growing in faithfulness.
Drop down to verse 11. Jesus Christ addresses the churches in specifically the seven here. Five of them which are really going astray. And he's going to admonish them. Why? Because he's the Lord of the church. He's the one in charge. He is the head. And he gives them instructions. I'll just pick on a little bit here at the beginning. You recognize the connection of Christ and his church. Verse 11 saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. He's addressing to John. The seven churches that are mentioned here is Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and I always have a hard time with this one, Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Someone pronounced it differently when I was younger, and it's always stuck in my mind. Thyatira. It's not Thyatira. any case, I digress. <coughs> then... I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Note that. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man. Now, you've heard that title before. That's the title of Christ. Clothed with a long robe, golden sash around his chest. Hairs of his head were white like wool, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Note verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead. By the way, if you were to meet the glory of Christ, this would be your response because he is perfect, holy. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And, note this, I have the keys of death and Hades. He's in charge. He's got the key. He is sovereign over all. So then, he says, write these things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. By the way, it's an indication that Revelation is actually prophecy for those who are attending our class. Future. And then he explains, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The angels would be the messengers, the preachers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, they are the seven churches. So here you have a light of the glory of the gospel of grace pointed out as those that, that one that God, Christ would appoint to, to lead the church and that every congregate, every member is a point of light in and of themselves. The light of Christ illustrated here as lampstands. But I want you to note here, as it's mentioned here, that Christ holds the authority of the church, including the one who is described as a star here, as an angel, a messenger, a spokesman. Christ holds them in his hand. It is Christ who appoints, and Christ who holds, and Christ who is in a sovereign authority. Notice, if you drop down to 
verse 2, then directs to these seven churches, this one here, to the church at Ephesus, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel, or is angelos in, in Greek, he's speaking of the messenger, that's what the word means, it can be associated with angelic beings who are function as messengers. Here is the messenger in the church itself. In what church? That actual physical church, Ephesus. The words of him who, note this, holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Can I tell you something right now? See, I'm submitting to Christ and that's my attempt, really. I don't do it perfectly, but this is what I want to do because Christ is the head of the church. But I want to also tell you now, it's a call for all of us to be mutually in submission to Christ. And do you see the the imagery here? He walks where? He walks among the lampstands. Christ is with us now. You don't have to strive really hard just to get all kinds of people to show up. Guess who's showing up every Lord's Day? Christ. He's here with us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. When you take this, you understand Christ is with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. And when the church gathers together, it's as if you you put all of this light together, if you will, that you might shine even brighter to the world in the collection of the saints together. And it's incredibly, significantly important for Christ coming here to worship, you know, coming here to hear a lecture on something or a story about something, but you hear about Christ and worship him. And he is with his gathered saints in a specific way. He's walking, notice here, among the golden lampstands, among each church that would claim to be following Christ. And what does he know? Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patience. This is addressing specifically to Ephesus. Your patient endurance how you can't bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles who are not and found to be false, so so they're clear on false teaching, and they're setting that aside, testing. They're enduring. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you haven't grown weary. So... He's there commending the church for those positive things. And to be a healthy church, these are some of the aspects in which we do in submission to Christ. But he has something against them. Verse 4, you've abandoned the love you had at first. What he's really talking about is, in their case, they have orthodoxy. They're doing things right, and they're doing things the right way but they've lost one aspect of it, and that is a fiery passion for truth that is burning because of your love for Christ. That's what he's talking about. I mean, we're not trying to get everybody to, to follow some little rule and regulation and, and even how we do everything that we do. It's to, to truly love Christ. Yes, orthodoxy is absolutely important. We have to have the right doctrine. We have to send away those who are teaching false doctrines. We have to stand for truth. But when we speak truth, it must be done in love. 
What kind of love? The love of Christ. It is because we love Christ, and that, that comes forward to where this truth then is, is more than informational. It's inspirational in the sense that it, it changes your heart to respond in great worship. There's never a time when I spend, which I spend hours looking through his word, praying, and, and, and all of a sudden at some point, which I'm thankful for actually, and it's a quite privilege to be able to do that. I encourage you to do that. I know your life is filled with a lot and you don't have uh, the responsibilities I do, but I can assure you by personal experience, just to read his word, to think about his word, to look on Christ, and then experience that passion in which he just breaks my heart. Some of these truths just pound me, and, and I just break down often and, and, and weep. I'm not suggesting that you have to, but there should be some affections for Christ, right? Some true passion there. Otherwise, you're just an empty vessel. So Christ, what do you do about it? Here's what Christ says. Remember where you were. Remember when you first came to Christ, how great it, it is. And if you drift away into more of a cold, dark orthodoxy, void of passion, then repent. That's what you do. You, you recognize it, and you repent. And then go back to being motivated to do the work of the ministry through because of the passion of Christ. Because what Christ has given to you, it's, it's a change of disposition. And the warning here, note the warning, if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, Christ is in control. And there's many churches that have lost their lampstand. What are you, what are you talking about? The light of the gospel, the glory of his grace. I mean, they, they might function, but they, they, they function some not much different than Disney World. Other places carry on in, in this very superstitious way, but it's empty and shallow, and it's, it's not real. I, I'm going to take away your lampstand. And unfortunately, he did for all seven of these churches, even the ones that he commended. They're all gone. That's the state of those churches. They're all gone. What, why? What happened? Well, I, I won't get into each one. Perhaps we'll bring some of those up on Wednesday night, but uh, they, they weren't following Christ. The messenger perhaps got astray, as well as the people in this lamp stand was removed if you will and yet verse 6 just a positive note before we move on yet i yet you have this you hate the nicolaitans this was a false teacher false doctrine which i also hate god does hate some things note that right he hates sin he hates sinners who stay in their sin this is God's judgment against them and false teachers. And false teachers are really wicked because they lead people to hell. That's what. Because they're telling them lies. Oh, you're okay just like you are. Don't, you don't need to repent of anything. Yes, you do. That's what Christ says. So if you ha have, I wanted to get to this, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This ear to hear comes from Christ. And if you have that, if you hear him, listen to him. And what is the promise? 
I will, the one who conquers, I will grant to him the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is paradise regained. All right. Church belongs to Christ. Second, his me- the, message, the message that we proclaim, all that we orchestrate together, it, it is given by Christ. Back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 gives us an insight in going off the rails. And this is a dangerous thing. Like I said, your lampstand could be removed. So you need to stay on focus, on point, which is Christ. After Peter confesses that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Upon which that confession, Christ informs him, this comes through divine revelation, and on that basis, I'm going to then build my church. He explains the process, if you will, then, how that foundation is going to be laid. And that you can find in verse 21. So Christ tells them how he's going to do his part, if you will, in building the church. He says, from that time he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day then be raised. And Peter's response is, you're the Lord, the Christ, (coughs) the Son of the living God, Um, amen. That's not exactly what he said. Should have said that. Instead, he takes him aside privately, if you will, verse 22. And this is amazing. He began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. (laughs) How ignorant of a thought. Peter had a better way to accomplish the building of the church. And you can see how foolish it is because here it's obvious because we know the rest of the story, right? But yet here he is, he's, he's functioning. I know a better way to accomplish this. His own mind, the mind of man, his own ingenuity, his own creativity, whatever he thought of in his own world. The Lord had just said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I'm going to raise again. And he says, oh, this is not going to happen. Well, who's going to protect the Almighty? (laughs) Some preacher? How about the church? No, you don't have that kind of power. Trust me, I don't have the power to raise the dead. If I did, I'd be out there doing it. I don't have the power to make you follow Christ. If I did, I would force you to do so. Christ has the power. And we need to hear and heed his message. And that is the secret to flourishing in your own life, Individually and collectively as a church expressed. He would tell them, notice verse 23, Peter, 
Do you see this? Get behind me, Satan. Because the words he said are contrary to Christ, and therefore they're demonic. That's how dangerous they are. Going against Christ's methodology, if you will, to accomplish his purposes is of the devil. It may look good and bright. It may feel good and right, but it isn't. It's dark. It's deadly. It's dangerous. And it will kill you and kill the church. It killed them. It's killed many. This is Satan's desire. And notice here, what, what's Peter's idea? As I mentioned earlier, all my little ideas are simply a, what? Here's the word, hindrance. Do you see it in the text? You're, you're a hindrance. I didn't want to hinder Christ. I just want to do what he says and then believe him for what he says. Otherwise, I'm just slowing things down. I'm hindering. I'm leading people astray. And, and here, this is a key phrase to, to note here in the flourishing of the church. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you see that? That's a key concept on how to build a church and how to flourish. You say, well, it would be impossible unless we had this or did that. And, and again, I like good stuff. We, we functioned for years without a pianist. And I might I say it's awful. It's awesome now. But you know what? You don't need it. Okay, I'll go ahead and give you an anecdote. I don't like to do these personal, but I just thought of it. When I met my bride in college, I had a beat-up 69... Ford pickup truck. It was a one-ton, and it was ugly. Did I say it was beat up? And I met this beautiful woman with a great personality that never met a stranger. Me, I was kind of awkward and shy, believe it or not. She's helped me a lot. But when she went, agreed to go out with me, I knew she wasn't doing it because I had a great car. Don't rely on the thinking of men. Trust Christ. Don't rely on your aspects because then I knew, for example, in my case, my bride loved me and we spent 39 years together because she was coming for me. And that was a good thing, lesson I learned. And the same way about the church. Okay, it's nice to have a better car, and I have a better one now. It's nice to have better stuff. But that's not really where it's at. Because that's all going to break down and burn and be destroyed. You know what you really need for a church to flourish? Christ. His word what he gave us. That's all you need. It's nice to have other stuff, but this is the stuff you need. And can Christ build his church just with this? Yeah, he can. 
because it's not by my strength, my might, my power, but by Christ's. Christ just calls us to come after him and pick up our cross and follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. That, that's our faith that we call people to. What's our mission in Matthew 28 that Christ would say, when Christ says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. In other words, he has all authority, he has all power. So what does he call us to do? Make disciples, make followers of who? Of Christ. That's who. Make followers of Christ. And how would you go about that? Teach them all things that I have taught you. It's that simple. Teach them about Christ. Teach them Christ's method. That's it. We don't change the method, message, by the way, to fit the times in which we exist. That's very dangerous. That's of the devil, should I say. This right here is, is just as relevant when... When, when Matthew wrote it. It's, it's just as real right now as it, w- as it was then. Because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He can't change. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. What would he change to? Something better? Something worse? No. So his word is forever relevant. I I, I went to seminary classes, and some of them were good and others not so good. One of the things that always amused me was the idea of trying to make God's word relevant. Just read it. Read it and allow the Spirit to, to slay your soul. It's sharp. It's powerful. It will cut to the quick. It, it can cut right to the very joint and marrow of your soul. Believe it. You want a self-help book, really, written by the mind of man? Maybe there's some good clues in there, but I'll tell you, there's nothing better than this right here. Because this is living. It is dynamic. It is powerful. That's the message. We don't change it. But beloved, and I guess I'll never finish this until maybe I'll do a part two. We'll see. The mission is then going to be accomplished simply by this preaching Christ. And here, I, I wouldn't mind you seeing it in the text itself. I use a lot of text because... I don't have a lot to say, but Christ has much to say, and I'd rather you see it in his inspired word, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as I read through this, man, I went all the way to chapter 4 on my own. I'm like, okay, I'll never get through this service. So any case, uh, maybe it would uh, encourage you to look closer at 1 Corinthians. I did preach through the whole book, and, and we have the audio on it, I'm, I think. Any case... Notice here, this is Paul talking to to a church. And he says that the mission is going to be accomplished simply by proclamation, that is, proclaiming Christ. Now, that sounds dumb in some sense, right? He calls it foolishness. So all you're going to do is sit there and proclaim Christ 
and then that's going to cause the church to flourish. Well, yes, because you have to understand, and I'll just pick up verse 8 in chapter 18, I should I say, in chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Expect that. Expect people to say, well, that's dumb. If that's all you do, you talk about Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. That's essentially all you do all the time. Well, it's folly to those that are dead, perishing, he says. But to those who are saved, it is then the power of God. That is where the power of God is. It is in the proclamation of his word. And particularly, the cross here is in view. It is written then, he quotes the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. (coughs) It doesn't come through intellectual prowess in which we accomplish great flourishing. It comes through the very power of God, a dynamic work of God that is mediated through the proclamation of Christ. So he says, well, where's the wise? Where's the the scribe? This would be the learning of the day. Where's the debater of this age? The one who thinks he's got all kinds of good ideas. Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? That's profound, isn't it? And if you're not sure, just listen to any given politician. At some point, (laughs) you'll figure that out. The wisdom of the world. It leads to failure. Great great motives, I understand. I don't even impugn their motives. I think they have good motives. The problem is they have wrong methodology because they really call, should call all of us to Christ. That, that's the message we all should do, proclaim Christ. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world since, since in the, note this, in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom. Get this? So, you're not going to come to God, you're not going to flourish just because of your own wisdom, your own intellectual prowess. In fact, this pleases God, it says, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Man, this made my job a lot easier. No wonder many preachers burn out in what they're doing. I hear it all the time. And I always get these newsletters, and I always get these informational sources and whatnot about burnout in the ministry and all of that. And I don't say this in pride, but I'll tell you what. I think perhaps some of it, and I know it can be hard dealing with people. By the way, I'm thankful. One of the things that you do is you you set up a barrier to get in the church in the first place and call people to a commitment to Christ and to one another and to his message. You just don't let anybody come in. They're just going to create problems. And that's really helped us in being a little bit more selective. Well, what are we being selective about? Because the church is the lampstand. The church is the light of the gospel of the glory of his grace. Why would you bring someone in who has no light at all? Oh, yeah, if they want to come and hear the gospel and see the gospel in the people, that's fine. For sure. But to, to bring them in, to be a part, that's why we examine and ask them to examine themselves. This is part of the gospel. To bring them to faith. It's, it's folly, then, 
in what we do. Many you say, well, okay, that, how is that going to, to work? And he will go on to say in here in the text that God brings about this belief and this faith, a faith that results in commitment. By the way, I, it's been a privilege all these years not to sit there and hammer you about giving, about doing, which we'll get into that perhaps in the future when Wednesdays or I might preach the part two of this. But in any case, you, you don't have to force people who want to follow Christ and pick up their cross to say, hey, go pick up your cross and follow Christ. You know what they do? They pick up their cross and follow Christ. So you can spend most of your time sitting here preaching the gospel and preaching Christ. And they'll say, yeah, I want to follow that. You see, that, that's the difference. No wonder there are so many preachers are stressed because they're sitting there trying to spin all these plates. I don't spin any plates. I just preach Christ. And some people think, oh, well, that, that's dumb. You, you should go do all this other stuff. No, that's all Christ has called me to do. Not even to baptize. I mean, I like baptizing people, but that's not what I'm called to do. You know what I'm called to do? Preach Christ. Because you need to hear about Christ. So that you'll follow him. In fact, that's what he says here, verse 23. I get this from a good source. Here's Paul. He says, but we preach Christ. We preach him crucified. And for them, in the Jews, it was a real stumbling block and foolishness, he says, to the Gentiles. For the Jews, this would have been really a big thing because cursed is anyone who, who dies on a tree. They didn't connect what the prophets have already said about the suffering Messiah. So for them in the religious system, this Christ, this exclusivity of Christ and Christ alone, this became a great stumbling block. They already had a religious system. They were good and moral people. They already had things figured out. But, but Paul is preaching the truth. No, there's, there's only one. It is Christ. You must follow him. You must confess, repent, and follow. The Gentiles is just dumb. But... To those who are called. And that's the key. God does the calling. This calling is talking about God's divine call, his appointment for the beginning of time. There are people out there. And so, you know what? You have guaranteed success. You know why? Because it's today. And I have breath. So I can preach Christ. And if I'm preaching Christ right now, there's somebody that needs to hear about Christ and come to faith. Because when all of the elect are in, it's done. They're not in. You know why? Because I, I still have breath to preach Christ. And if I pass and you go on, keep preaching Christ until you see him. That's all. Know for sure that for most people, this is going to be a challenge to them, a stumbling block. For others, this is going to be just dumb, what you're doing. But to those who are called, the, the, those, those who are called, this is the power of God. See, it, this is Christ building his church. This is the methodology he would use. You know why? Because... The foolishness of God, as it's described here, it's wiser than men. In other words, any plan, any method you can come up with, it, it, it doesn't compare. You, you think God's foolish in what he would do? Okay, go, go try it. 
Are you wiser than God? No. The weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm just dumb enough to believe it. Nobody seeks after God. <coughs> God seeks after you. And the means by which he'll bring in sons and daughters is the proclamation of his truth. And I want to call the church in general, the men of God, stars in the hands of Christ, to just preach the word and quit all the foolishness. Just preach Christ. And for the lampstand, the church, us here too, to follow Christ, to follow his word. There's going to become a time, Paul would tell his protege Timothy, when they won't endure sound doctrine. That was back then, a couple thousand years ago. I think that time is more than common, don't you? Instead, they just want people to tell them what's, what they're doing right and never call them to repentance and to Christ. It's a death sentence. Christ will give you life and cause the church to, to flourish and grow. Paul would look at himself and say, what, what are we? We're just servants of Christ. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Let us pray. Father, we want to commit our life to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to be submissive to Christ in all things. To the degree that we're not, we're thankful that you will hear our confession and receive our repentance. May we in continually trust in you and grow in that knowledge and faith. And may it be one that is expressed from the passion that we have for Christ. I pray this in Christ's name alone. Amen. Take a moment to respond to Christ in any way he's spoken to you. If you have an ear to hear, respond in repentance and faith. If you need to talk to one of the elders about that, we're here for you after the service. But for now, you can speak to Christ and Christ alone. Take a moment to respond to him in the way he has spoken to you today. exalted in all that we do, we pray that we would indeed follow Christ. In his name we pray.
Amen. Let's all stand and turn to 534 in our hymnals. 534. <clears throat> Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord hath forgiven you, so that you also must forgive, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Gracious Father, we, we just pray now as we are about to go to the fellowship hall and to <clears throat> enjoy uh, a time of, of meal and a good fellowship with one another that you would bless the food to our bodies and the fellowship around the table now. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.